Wouldn't it be neat to hear another law show from the same type of attorneys talking in the same monotone voice, saying the same old things over and over again? Uh, no. This is Legacy Lawyers. On Legacy Lawyers, you get two big things. Number one, we talk about the juicy details of cases that our law firm has dealt with. Of course, changing the names and details to protect client attorney privilege. And we dive into what options the clients had to choose from to fix their situation. Number two. Number two. You get educated about how the effects of not doing planning can be devastating. Let's get into it. This is Legacy Lawyers. And here are your hosts, Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. Hey, everyone. What's up, Michael? Hi, Nathan. What's going on? Not much, dude. Can you see my battle wound? I cannot. No, this video is not good enough. Russell and Lincoln, the man's got sharp claws. Uh, I thought you were going to tell me you cut yourself shaving. No, no. It's way more dangerous. Wrestling a five-year-old. So he uses his, he uses his sharp claws as a weapon? You just get so into it, and the next thing you know, he just starts scratching you. And you're like, whoa, whoa. It doesn't sound like wrestling. That sounds more like whoa. fighting. Yeah, it's it's kind of a combination. <laughs> mixed. It's mixed, mixed martial, martial arts. arts. Yeah. He's just so, he's got, he just got all that energy. He's got to get it out. Yeah, what would it be like to have the energy of a 5-year-old? That would be okay. So I want to know um if I think last time I asked you to come up with a like a little known skill that you've discovered recently that like I revealed that mine was the ability to grow a legit beard. You told us you can't grow one, but did you come up with anything? New skill? No, no. No new skill. Mm-mm. All right. Or, or talent, hidden talent. Hidden talent. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to keep asking you about that. So please try to come up with one. Um, speaking of talent, we are going to jump back into the Britney Spears conservatorship um, case, the hashtag free Britney movement, the framing Britney documentary. Um, just for just for the sake of a quick recap, um, this all got started in the early 2000s when Britney was kind of at the height of her fame and she got married to Kevin Federline, had a couple of kids, 2007, 2008, she starts acting erratically in public. In fairness, I think that paparazzi and just the press in general and the pressure of fame probably contributed to some of that erratic behavior. Um, 2008, I think she'd gone in to, yeah, she'd been in a psychiatric hospital a couple of times. And at that point, Jamie Spears, her dad, petitions the court for an emergency temporary conservatorship, which was granted. And we should point out that um, it was not only a conservatorship of her estate, meaning her money, her finances, her investments, but also a conservatorship of her person. Um, which means who she can see, who she can talk to, um, where she goes, her medical, her medical and healthcare decisions. Um, so basically her dad became, her dad gained control of literally every single aspect of her life. Um, and that conservatorship, um, has been extended repeatedly to the point that we're now what 12, 13 years out. Mm -hmm. 
Um, recently, Brittany's started to kind of signal that, I mean, she's always, I guess, given there's a, as we've talked about this free Brittany movement that they follow every development. Um, they post things on social media, they follow her social media feeds. Um, but she's kind of signaled over time that she various frustrations with the conservatorship. And then at a certain point, kind of took the position that, look, if my dad's going to be involved, then I'm not working anymore. So um, the most recent hearings involved Brittany asking for a, a bank or a trust company, I think it's Bessemer Trust, to become involved. And they were ultimately named as co-conservators with Jamie, which I think you pointed out this morning, Mike, you found something that seems to indicate, which would make sense, that that means that Jamie um, lost control of kind of the financial side of things. Sounds like it, yeah. At least managing the investments. Um, and he wants to be more involved in managing investments. And in particular, he wants to um, get his own investment advice, it looks like, from the latest hearing. But the judge the judge didn't sign off on that. So they, they, they've kept it where looks like um, the Bessner Trust is going to mainly handle the, in the investment decisions. Yeah. So the other thing that we talked about that it'll be interesting to watch as time goes on is that her family, um, it was pointed out in the documentary, that I think, or in one of the articles that we read that her family, meaning her mom, her sister, her brother, um, they're going to be giving more interviews, being more visible um, to kind of express how Brittany feels about the situation with, I think, ultimately the view or the intent of, at the very least, getting Jamie completely removed, getting that out of the picture, and possibly going eventually for a um, kill shot on the whole conservatorship and trying to torpedo that and have that thing go away. Which, yeah, Brit Brittany's attorney has made comments that that's what they're working to towards is getting the conservatorship to go away, and it looks like they're approaching it in baby steps. So, step one, which is probably a good way to do it. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about this in the last episode where we haven't seen or know what the medical experts have said about why this conservatorship is necessary. It's, yeah, it's hard to understand why the court ha has keeps renewing it and why the court feels like it's still necessary, even though Brittany can perform and make millions of dollars and, you know, basically seem like she's just like any other singer um and but obviously there, there's more to it than that yeah, and she i mean the other thing that i guess i got a little bit more exposure to that is just anecdotal support for maybe why it's continued is like her social media she, she posts some pretty bizarre stuff like i don't think she's helping her case with some of the things that she posts, but again, just like you said, I mean, she's no, I don't think she's much different than a lot of these kind of child prod prodigies. Um, I made the comment before we started that if, if you're a, a blossoming child star, um, you should probably get your planning in place sooner rather than later, because the odds of your life going sideways <laughs> very quickly <laughs> seem to be pretty high it's it's crazy how many stories there are about you know their lives taking some crazy turns and a lot of a lot yeah of like uh screech stories. the guy that played screech from um save, save by the, the bell. bell saved by the bell he just died like and everybody seems like the whole crew hated his guts and <laughs> and i mean there's and it sounds like i mean super sad like you read what his life kind of became and 
And it's, it was a super sad thing. So then the only other thing that I want to kind of do with the recap is just point out again that um, how all consuming and how um, potent this conservatorship is. Um, that is odd because a lot of times they'll be limited, right? They just are limited to the mm -hmm. scope that's necessary. Yeah. And that's not been the case here. Like we haven't seen them back off anything as far as, you know, well, maybe she can't manage her own investments, but they still have the ability and they're still doing it. They're using security guards 24 seven to control where she goes, who she sees. Um, they know where she's at at all times. And this is kind of strange for a, you know, 38 year old um, pop star that you think would be out doing whatever she wants, whenever she wants. And so. that, and the, and that's the thing why this episode and the last one I think is really important for all of our audience to listen to is because like what, what this is an example of, and I don't know, you hear this sometimes in the law, like this is where we have a tool in the law that's meant to help protect people, right? If someone's incapacitated or unable to manage their affairs, then that we have this process where you can step in and you can protect that person from themselves. It's meant to be a shield, right? It's meant to protect, well, <clears throat> it's there to protect people who can't protect themselves. That's kind of the idea, right? But it, this looks a lot and feels a lot like they use this as a sword, right? Like I'm using this conservatorship and guardianship to um, basically attack or control or get something that I want. Wow. So, so we went from. That was deep. <laughs> I don't know. The about conservatorship that, but... is a, is a shield, but it's it killed. But in this case, was it used like a sword? Mm -hmm. that's impressive mike I, you'll I, I i believe that's been i've seen that in a few court decisions so i I've why did you why did example. you say that gosh <laughs> i mean that was, it just it was pure like spontaneous podcast genius it could have and then so, you just give the credit to somebody me else of. i mean it, that's what i that's what it makes me think of is hey we we took something that's this great idea to help protect people when they're, when they need it. And we just totally misapplied it. Yeah. And there's actually um, discussion as a result of this particular case. Cause as we've said before, like we haven't seen anything that even closely that even remotely approaches this case. Like it's just, there's, there's never been a case like it. Um, that I'm aware of, definitely never, never one that was this highly publicized, but, but honestly, I don't know of a, a situation where a guardianship and well, a conservatorship, we say guardianship because sometimes that term's used for the guardian, the conservatorship of the person having the ability to make healthcare decisions and, and so forth, but there's really nothing like it out there. And, um, there's discussion about, do we need reform in this area? Do we need some additional controls or um, maybe some rules over re regarding, you know, if a person is capable of doing this, that, or the other thing, then, um, then maybe there should be a limitation to what a guardian or conservator could do. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know where that will go, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this thing develops as we're in like our thirteenth year of of the proceeding. So, where we see this the most, like obviously Brittany's case is very unique, but where we see this the most is when individuals get older and they have um, something change in their lives, um, a stroke, dementia. They have some type of diagnosis where they're cognitive ability decreases and they were this high functioning individual and they they go in this a lot of times there's this gray area right where they're like that is they're making some weird decisions that's not like them but like they're still 
kind of making their own decisions. And then, and then eventually they get into this realm where it's obvious they don't, they don't remember what they said five minutes ago, or it's clear. It's very clear. They have lost all their reasoning and ability to make their own financial decisions, their own medical decisions. And so in the cases where it's cut and dry, right? Like they have advanced dementia or they're, they're totally disconnected from their decisions and it's really cut and dry diagnosis. Those, those cases are, those cases are easy, right? Those cases, the courts appoint the guardian and conservator and it's, and it's clear that we're protecting the person. It's clear uh, we're using the statute as a shield and we're protecting them from themselves and we're taking care of them. But yeah, the other place, go ahead, but I was just going to point out, I'll hold that thought. The other okay. place we see it is um, a child that has a disability mm-hmm. that ages out of their minority, turns 18, at which point they're now an adult um, and parents don't have any more say over you know, their health care, their financial decisions, but they're also not they don't have the capacity to do that themselves. So this, those are other cut and dried situations where it's just obvious that they need help. And that's when courts will appoint guardians and conservators for those types of individuals. So just want to point that out. Yeah. So that gray area, like when someone has it more gradual and it's not just this stark difference, right? Like yesterday, Nathan Croxford could, you know, do everything. (laughs) He could budget his checkbook. It's always me. He could do everything. And then the next day, like he doesn't even know where he's at. You know what I mean? Like that, that cut and dries. My wife would say that that's actually happening (laughs) at this point. You wake up. uh Oh, we, Mm -hmm. we better double check your estate plan. Make sure. Yeah. Like I'll go downstairs (laughs) to get something and I don't know, I'll have like a squirrel moment, like where I, I'll see something else and I'll, end up taking care of that and then I come upstairs and then I realize oh yeah what am I doing I went downstairs <laughs> to do this and to do a and I went downstairs and I did b and I totally forgot about a now I got to go back downstairs I guess that's good for my physical health but it makes me wonder that's, you know am I already am I already fading away like are you going to be will you represent me in my guardianship proceeding um I'll represent I'll re- represent your guardian. Oh, oh thanks. Represent you. <laughs> um, no, that, oh, why don't, that's a that, good point, actually. Why don't you explain that? So, so that's the first thing. When, when you become incapacitated, the person who wants to be your guardian and conservator, they have representation, right? And then the protected person, the court wants them to have their own attorney. And in most states, that's how it works. And there's a few little nuances here and there, but generally that's how most states work. And um, so you have two attorneys involved and the attorney for the protected person, they're the ones that can object, right? And say, no, Nathan's fine. He doesn't need a guardian. Um, Yeah, which was what I was asking you to do for me. And you're saying, no, you're going to, you'll be at the table with the, with your wife saying with the that. would-be conservator saying, <laughs> Oh yeah, here's the evidence, Your Honor. It's, it's, it's crazier it's, than a hoot out. We, we, <laughs> we're way past <laughs> saying all right. But actually your example I think is is awesome, Nathan, because um, I don't know about you, but I've had that call many times with um, children of, of parents. Right. And they're like, Hey, my mom and dad are doing this stuff. And like, they're eating cat food downstairs and they, they, to get, you know, a simple thing and they come back upstairs and they've, you know, built a, built, built time machine. No, no. I don't know what you do when you go down there. Do you tinker or you just work on projects? You're talking about me? Yeah, you. When you go downstairs. No, it's like I see something that, oh, I've been meaning to like take that and put that in the other spot. Oh, or it's like a new to do. Yeah, or like the oh, dog okay. will be down there and I'll I'll realize he needs to go out, so I'll take him out. And then but yeah, I mean we that happens. We also see a lot of we get a lot of calls around the holidays when people are seeing 
mom and dad after an extended period of not seeing them and they they arrive at the house and they've been eating cat food for a month and there's no milk in the fridge and there's or it's spoiled and they haven't had baths for who knows long how long and they're like oh my gosh they cannot believe how much decline has occurred in the you know in the three or four five or six months since they saw them last well and sometimes it's even more subtle than that right like they spend a whole day with their parents whenever they haven't and they're like you know when you talk to them for a half hour to an hour you can't tell that they're mm-hmm. changed but then when you spend the whole day with them and you have the same conversation three times and you're like this is not my mom and dad this is they don't do this like yeah, and people so get really frustrated that gray area is so hard i've seen so many people struggle with that um because they come in and they're just flabbergasted because they're just that they, they bring them in because they want to show they want to show us they want to prove it to you you want to see how far gone she is and yet like she can put on a show for 30 minutes 45 minutes an hour it's like you know when you take your your car's making a noise and you take it to the mechanic and it won't you can't get it to make the noise when the mechanic's driving it it's just so frustrating but um yeah that's generally the there's something about that gray area where they are able to people that are in decline, they are able to put on a good show for a little bit, but basically if we spent 24 hours with them, we'd be going, okay, yeah, we get it. And so I guess what I'm saying is that we don't need people to bring their parent in to prove it to us. Like we we've seen that enough that we know that we're like, Oh, so they're doing the thing where, they put on a great show for an hour. And then as soon as you get them back out in the car, they don't remember where they're at. They don't remember who you are. And um, so we, we know that happens. Um, and that's actually a super challenging time and probably something that as we get into how people can avoid ending up in a situation like Brittany is in, we should talk about, you know, the planning techniques that would be valuable in that gray area as well as once they're clearly gone. Yeah. Cause the gray area, like that person who's having, who's struggling, they're having some changes, you know, cognitively, they, they think they're fine. They don't want to, they don't want to give up any of the decision-making. They don't want help with the checkbook. It's fine that they paid the same person three times. They don't, Everybody else has lost it, but them. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to. And that's, we all are like that. We all inherently, no, no one wants to give up complete control of all their decisions. And, and we're all very slow to say, Hey, I think I need some help. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and depending on what affecting them, like some dementia and Alzheimer's, you know, there, it creates a lot of paranoia. And so like, then they start to think the person they trust the most is out to get them or they're, or they're the ones doing things. And so it just gets really tricky. And so the smart, so, so Nathan, what's, I mean, at what point should we be stepping in and saying, Hey, no, I got to protect you from yourself. And, and when do we just sit back and say, Hey, everyone's entitled to make bad decisions. And whether you're 21 making bad decisions or 71 making bad decisions. Everyone's entitled to that. And we can't, we can't control people. I'm going to actually use a lawyer strategy right here. And I'm going to answer your question with a question. Oh, so we'll get into what you talked about, but I want to ask you this first, because obviously we want to talk about how our listeners can avoid this, but what, could Brittany have done if she had been properly advised? What could Brittany have done to avoid this situation? Is there anything she could have done? Well, I, yes, there is. Okay. Tell us, do tell. Well, every state will have a statute that lays out the priority of who should be the conservator. Um, and almost every state will have at the top of the list, the person, the individual nominated. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. 
Britney, especially once she like got married yeah. and had kids. The second, I mean, it talks about that she had a strained relationship with her dad for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So do you think, do you think Jamie Spears would have been on the list of people that she would choose to nominate as a potential guardian or conservator? No, no. And he, and there should, there should have been a nomination document signed by her, you know, like I get when you turn 18, you don't think to do as you're planning, but you know, as you get a especially once you get married or have a child, you should be doing this. Yeah. And it's a little bit of an artificial question because, well, it is and it isn't. It's like, if they were properly advised, they would know that the day you took, I mean, we, we've talked about, am I too young to do planning? I think we had an episode on that, but, and the answer is no, once you're 18, there could be issues and and we've seen them come up here. But um, so if, if we were learning this in school, you know, life, the document, legal documents you need for to protect yourself throughout your life. We know this is the day you turn 18 um, or shortly thereafter, you should go in and at least fill out a, you know, get a power of attorney document in place. Mm-hmm. Because if she had a power of attorney document where she nominated um, somebody else besides so there's the power of attorney document. There's also that she'd also could have nominated somebody to serve as a conservator. Um, and it wouldn't have been Jamie. It would have been somebody else. Maybe it would have been Lynn or mom. Maybe it would have been Kevin or husband. I don't know, but like, who's at the top of the list if she doesn't do any planning. And again, every state will have their priority list, but it's generally it's the parents. And this is probably, Mm -hmm. A good time to quickly. Oh, here we go. The disclaimer. <laughs> we forgot our disclaimer again. Nathan, your turn. I did it last time. I swear I did. Okay. So everyone, even though me and Nathan are attorneys, we are just talking. <laughs> we are just educating on the topics generally. So we are not acting as your attorney and any, um, Topics we discuss is not to be construed as legal advice for your situation, and you should seek independent legal counsel for your specific situation. This information is for educational purposes only and entertainment. So that wasn't my best disclaimer, but I think it got us through. We probably should write one and like tape it to our monitors so we don't forget (laughs) to. But, you know, we're just Uh, we're just doing a podcast. Yeah. We're just trying to educate people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now you're going to be able to remember what you were, here's the, here's your neurological exam. You're going to yeah, be able so to remember what you were going to say before you remembered the disclaimer. The order of guardianship. Oh, you're sharp. <laughs> it would be usually your parents and or your spouse, depending on, um, Usually it would be spouse than your parents if you're married, but um, but at that point in time, uh, I think they were divorced and there was a custody dispute. Yeah, yeah. So that he, he would have wanted to do Federline would have been out. Yeah, he would have been out. But so in this case, you know, it was easy for Jamie to say, "Hey, I should be the conservator because I'm her dad." And the statute, I didn't, I haven't looked up California's, but I know in Utah that would have been supported. And some statutes are stronger than others, and say the courts must follow the order unless there's a good reason not to, right? So like if the person's convicted felon and has a history of other issues, then, you know, it's easy for the court to say, okay, we're going to go to the next on the list. Mm-hmm. But um, outside of something kind of more egregious like that, they're going to follow that order. And so hence, it, it's easy to follow that. And, and I think that's contributed. Yeah, and I mean, she really didn't that. have... She maybe had a, she had a lawyer appointed, but at that point in time when this was put in place, she was in and out of psych hospitals and, um, you know, things were pretty, mm-hmm. pretty crazy. So it wasn't like she was in a position to put up much of a fight, I don't think, when but, Jamie petitioned. So, Nathan, if I get a guardian appointed over me and I don't like the order and I say, hey, I want this person to do it, I mean... 
yeah, I didn't, I didn't nominate someone ahead of time, but now I'm telling the court who I want. So why, I mean, why aren't they, just, why don't they just follow me? I'm telling them because, now. because you're, you're, you've already been deemed incompetent to make those decisions. Oh. So Shoot. unless you're, a, unless your attorney is making that argument for you and, and they are in this case. Um, but I guess the answer to that is that once something's been put into place in terms of, you know, a legal order, it's been reduced to an order that's been signed by a judge. Once you have an order from a judge and a court order that's been signed by the court, you have to have some pretty good reasons, a good basis for the court to undo that. And, and in a lot of cases, you're asking the same judge that signed the order mm -hmm to reverse him or herself, in this case, herself. And there's just going to be a kind of an inherent reluctance to do that. And so you, you better have really, really strong grounds. And so in this case, if Jamie's been doing a decent job, um, which I guess we kind of have to assume that he's been doing a decent job because he's been at it for 13 years and it's just been in the last month or two that his power as the conservator has been trimmed back, um, you're not going to get much traction asking for a new person to come in and, and take over. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. And I mean, in one of the articles talked about how Jamie, her dad had altercation with one of her kids or 14 year old mm -hmm. son, and there was some issues with that. And honestly, I think that is probably the reason the court was even willing to tweak things a little bit. So yeah, I mean, even willing to entertain a change. Yeah, you you have to have like usually a good justification. I mean, it's it's just like it's just like the sports, right? The NFL. I mean, you have the same. I mean, if you have the same ref reviewing the replay on his on the call he just made, I mean, they're they're not wanting to say, oh yeah, I made a mistake. We should change that unless there's pretty clear clear evidence that that's what happened yeah but as far as i know there's no replay review in court or conservatorships i guess there are but they're called appeals courts the difference is you can't just send another official over to put their head under the hood and watch the replay instantaneously like somebody's got to file an appeal or somebody's got to file a, a motion to reconsider and I mean, if there's one thing we can say about the law, it's that nothing happens quickly. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So if Brittany had nominated a conservator that she would have wanted, then the court could have followed that. And that's the same with us, right? So for everyone listening, if you do not have a guardian and conservator nominated in your documents, then the court's going to be stuck with what the statute allows them to do. And you may not like that person or you may not like how that is set up. So it's really important that everyone has who they want listed to be that guardian. Because think about it, like when you when you're of clear mind and a sound mind and you're your normal self, you take the time to say, this is who I would trust to manage my finances and my medical decision. Not only is this the person I trust to make those decisions, but this is also the person I trust to not prematurely take over those decisions. And this is also the person I trust to not wait too long to take over those decisions, right? Don't wait until I've already given all my money to some scam person in Nigeria. Yeah. And, and there's also the ability... Um, and this is probably something that, I don't know, may or may not be part of the official document where you nominate, but there's ways she could have sent signals to the judge or been very explicit with the judge, meaning ahead of time by, by putting proper documents in place that look, one person that should never be my conservator is my dad. And here's why. I mean, because let's say you were the judge Penny. I know her first name's Penny. I don't know why I don't remember anything else, but judge <laughs> Penny. So you're judge Penny, Mike. And um, Jamie is petitioning to become Brittany's 
conservator and you've seen the medical evidence and you feel like it's pretty clear cut case that she needs some protection. She needs the shield. Um, but you've got sitting in front of you, that's part of the evidence in the, in the hearing, a document where she's nominated a specific person, or maybe she's nominated a specific person with an alternate or two. And she, you're, you're looking at something that, that she reduced to writing and signed and notarized that said, and by the way, under no circumstance should my dad, Jamie, ever be my conservator. And here's why. What are you going to do? Well, your honor, your honor. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I would probably just recuse myself because it's too hard of a. No, no you wouldn't. <laughs> no, the judge, you, I mean. I don't know how you appoint Jamie to be the conservator if I have if I have it in front of my, my in front of me, right? Because one, like I have a clear indication from the protected person that this is not what they wanted. Obviously, they wouldn't have put that if there wasn't some serious concerns. And so I don't know how I look at that evidence and say, hey, I think it's in the best interest of this person to appoint a person that they did not want and ignore the person they did want. It just yeah you. You'd have to, I don't know of a judge in their right mind on the planet that would, that would do that. So I guess what we're saying there is she could have put some pretty potent preventative measures in place to keep this from happening the way that it did, which is probably a good segue for the question you were going to ask me. And again, the neurological exam that we're giving you is, do you remember what that question was? No. Okay. Way too far. So, so, no, that, asked- so there we go. So now there's where, there's my first in. I'm going to document no, do. that, that on the 23rd of, anyway. I remember the general question, but not specifically how. It well, you were asking when the gray area, right? Yeah, I think, actually, I don't even remember. I think it had to do with um, how would our listeners avoid this, which is what we need to segue to. So so I'll answer the question that I think you asked, um, which also addresses the problems that arise during that period that we've been calling the gray area. And the gray area is just, you know, on the one side, you've got somebody who's clearly competent, clearly able to make their own decisions, clearly functioning um, the way an adult human being would. Um, And on the uh, total opposite side, you've got somebody who's clearly lost capacity. They're not making sense. They're forgetful. They've lost, you know, the ability to make financial decisions. They are giving their money repeatedly to people in other countries that call their cell phone. But in in between there, there's this really tough, and I've watched countless, countless families go through this where mom or dads, they're in limbo, they're in between those two realms, and um, it's super difficult. So the point of, and the reason we wanted to talk about this, not only is it super interesting, and there's really nothing else like it out there, but Um, It also highlights the need for every single one of us to have the proper legal documents in place to um, prevent this. So one of the ways, one of the best ways I've seen um, to deal with the gray area is not guardianship or conservatorship. It's using what's called a general durable power of attorney. And combining that with some sort of an advanced healthcare directive. And every state's going to be a little bit different in terms of how they, how those documents look and, and what they have to say. But those are essentially two powerful documents that one, the, the general durable power of attorney is a non-healthcare power of attorney document where, again, you, while you're in your while you have your capacities, while you're lucid and understand what's going on, you get to pick who should act in your behalf. So if you're incapacitated, and maybe it's even just a temporary thing, you get into a car accident and you're going to recover, but there's a period of time where you can't and somebody needs to step in. Well, you've nominated 
most people it's their spouse or it's their oldest child, or, I mean, I've seen all kinds of variations on it, but you can nominate who should make financial legal um, decisions for you unrelated to healthcare. And in the same, at the same time, you can execute the, the advanced healthcare directive and indicate who should have control over your medical decision-making should you not be able to do that for yourself. And, and I've just seen a night and day difference between, and sometimes people like the people that have those documents where their parents have already put that in place ahead of time, they don't even realize how good they've got it. They, they walk in and they've got a document and they're able to conduct business on behalf of their parent and, and it's seamless um, and it just works like magic. Um, the ones that the people that kind of <laughs> feel it are the ones that don't have it. Right. And they're scrambling. They're like, um, and, and as attorneys, we face a dilemma. Well, are they too far gone to even sign the power of attorney at this point? Um, and so I would say it's a, it's a non-negotiable. You should have a general durable power of attorney and non-healthcare power of attorney, and you should have an advanced healthcare directive. And if you have those two things, the likelihood that you ever even need a guardianship and conservatorship goes way, way down. I mean, I would love to see some sort of study or statistic if it's out there that um, would tell us. I'm sure there isn't, but but I would say it's super high, the, the decrease in the percentage chance that you need guardianship or conservatorship if you have um, a, a durable power of attorney, general durable power of attorney and a healthcare directive. Yeah, because think about it, like most... You know, most people, when they start to lose capacity and it's more general, they, they, they kind of recognize it to some extent. And, and in the best case scenarios, they start involving their, their kids or whoever they listed to be their power of attorney, right? They start involving them as they need help. And it's just this general, it's just this gradual process where, okay, I'm going to start just going over your bills with you to make sure, you know, you got everything. And then, and then it kind of grows from there to eventually the client is completely unable to make any of those decisions and their children are acting as their power of attorney and their healthcare agent. And they're doing those things. We never involved the court. We never did a guardianship or conservatorship. And there was never this feeling of like, Hey, you just took over my life and I didn't want you to, but then there, but there is that percentage where because of the situation, the person is adamant that they're fine. They don't want to let their family help them. They keep doing all these things that are harming themselves. And eventually the family has to kind of pull out the bigger guns and they go past the power of attorney and they have to go past the guardianship document and they have to go to the court and say, no, we need the full guardianship conservatorship here to protect our loved one. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you know, that person is still going to think that they don't need it and they're fine. And the judge is going to make that call. And if they, if the judge does believe they need the help, then their family is able to help them. But this is what's crucial. Like the judge thinks they need the help. This person that they trusted when they were of sound mind, this person that they trusted and put it on the document thinks they need the help. You probably need the help at that point. Right. When you have. Yeah. I mean, huge safety mechanism that a, the right people are going to be involved and B the timing is going to be right to put that in place. But I think um, one thing that we should highlight is that if you don't have the general durable power of attorney or the healthcare directive to begin with, you don't even, you skip that step altogether. Um, You have the only recourse at that point in time. And I mean, I can't count how many sad conversations I've had with, you know, adult children of parents that are, that have declined where we're like, yeah, you need to do this with regard to their long-term care, or we need to put a planning document in place, but we can't do any of that until you first go get guardianship and conservatorship of your parent. So, you know, you kind of guarantee that, well, not guarantee. Yeah. I mean, if there's decline without those um, preventative documents being in place to begin with, 
then the only option becomes the court. I did want to say one other thing before we go on and talk a little bit about how to control, how to have some advanced control over who's involved in your guardianship or conservatorship in the event that you need one. And just say that not just any document will do. If, the, if anyone from the state of Utah, the Utah legislature is listening, um, and that this is maybe true in other states, but the, the, if you put into a search engine, Utah Power of Attorney, the first thing that's going to pop up is the statutory short form, which I don't know, back me up on this, Mike, is complete garbage. It's, it's like a check of the box. It's a check the box power of attorney, which well, and it's a one one paragraph statement. It's a general grant of authority. It's the first paragraph of power of attorney documents that we use that are anywhere between, you know, fifteen to to thirty pages long. I mean, it just there's no specificity. There's nothing in it, and that's the thing is that institutions and government agencies and the, the kinds of folks that are going to be reviewing these and deciding whether or not to allow an agent to act, they become much more, you know, picky about what they will and won't do with a, a power of attorney document. And if, and you're better to err on the side of more provisions than less, because if we can capture the kind of the known universe of possible scenarios that might come up and, and spell those out, have a much better chance of having that power of attorney work but that statutory short form is a joke yeah if you give that to someone and they're and they're trying to rely on that to allow you to access someone else's money and it just has this one paragraph and it doesn't clarify really what you can do or can't do with that account and what the scope is um like they're really concerned about their liability here, right? Like if I let you access this money and I shouldn't have, am I going to be sued? And so we've had problems with financial institutions telling families that power of attorney, we're not accepting it. Yeah. And they love it. On the other hand, they, they love to see the section they get into page, you know, 13 or 14 and they see banking powers, and it's clearly spelled out what the banking powers are. They're going to feel so much better about being willing to allow you to act on that um, if, if they see that kind of specificity in the document. Um, I will, um, to kind of make up for my attack on the state of Utah just a minute ago, I will say that if you Google um, or put in a search engine um, Utah Advanced Healthcare Directive or Advanced Healthcare Directive, at least here in Utah, this this um, I feel like the um, legislature's done a pretty good job with that form. That form document, we actually use that form document, so that one's way better than the statutory short form for non-healthcare. But why do we use that one and we don't like the other form? Well, one of them's got a presumption of validity if we use it. Well, doc. Yeah, I mean, that's it. The doctors and the healthcare providers are used to seeing that form every day, all day. And so when they see it, they know what that means. And it's not like, okay, well, we better send that to the legal department and let them review it before we, mm. before mm -hmm. we do anything. So, so that one makes sense, but the other one doesn't. And most states do have, have a, like a form, like they've tried to standardize their healthcare directives. So most other states have something pretty similar to Utah's. Yeah, I've seen that for, I think, Arizona. I've seen it for Idaho. I've seen it for, I think, even California has something along those lines. I don't, I don't know all the jurisdictions that have a unified form, but, but where there is one, that's definitely what you should be using. So let's say that um, in conjunction, what are, what are the other things that um, our listeners should do in conjunction with getting their general durable power of attorney and their advanced healthcare directive in place to make, to kind of have some, some control ahead of time over what happens in, in the event there's a guardianship or conservatorship. Not sure where, where you're going with that. I mean, are you kind of just, they should nominate, right? Nominate. Nomination in it. Yeah. So that's set, that, that generally is not going to be in those documents. Who's, 
So tell us a little bit about where, where, where that's generally found. Yeah. So every, like when you, when you execute your power of attorney or end your healthcare directive, it's crucial that we put in there, you know, if you do need a guardian, a conservator, because these documents aren't, you know, meeting all your needs, then this is who you want in there. And if you have someone in your family that you think is going to try to make things more difficult or more challenging, then you need to go the extra mile and you need to put an exclusion. So if you have a child who's estranged from you or that is very combative with their siblings, um, then you need to put in there that, you know, I want so-and-so as my guardian and my, or my conservator. And, you know, if they can't do it, this would be a good backup person. And then it, add in there as well, like, but under no circumstances should this individual be my guardian or conservator. And that really slams the door on getting somebody that would do a bad job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, bottom line is, seems like it's the bottom line of a lot of our podcasts. Um, It is. Is that you have to think ahead you have to plan ahead because when the head shaving and the umbrella attacking begins in Brittany's case, <laughs> um, I don't mean to laugh at her, at her problems, but I mean, seriously, when that kind of erratic behavior um, begins or when the parent is starting to, to lose capacity and you're in the gray area. I mean, that usually it's by that point, it's too late. So all of this needs to be done in advance and it's best handled by a trusted legal advisor that, that, you know, is going to do a great job and is going to be there so that if um, something changes, um, you're able to, get those changes made and those documents stay up to date so that when they're needed, they actually work the way they were intended. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that brings us to a conclusion of our guardianship conservatorship conversation and the Britney Spears free Britney movement. And I think, I think it's a really awesome lesson for all of us to, make sure we have our own stuff together. So Nathan, any parting words? No. Um, hashtag free Brittany. Thanks everyone. <laughs> See ya. You've been listening to legacy lawyers with Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. We give you the juicy detail of cases that our law firm has dealt with. We take out the lawyer talk and legalese and show you what options some of our clients had to choose from to fix their situation. The effects of not doing planning can be devastating. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Voyant Legal. Call us at 801-951-0500 or send us an email at team at voyantlegal.com. And for commonly asked questions, hit voyantlegal.com slash resources. We'll see you next time.